The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. You bet. John Scholes here. As always, ready to host the show alongside you and our resident lawyer, our expert, Stan Fainzelberg, Sam Firu, Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country, is ready to answer all of your questions. We're going to get through a ton of listener email on the show over the next half hour because it's been piling up, so we'll get through some of those. But that doesn't mean you can't interrupt any time you would like and join the show. There is no dumb questions, only good ones. You're asking things that hundreds, if not thousands of other people listening are probably scratching their head in the same way going, I wish I knew the answer to dot, dot, dot. So make those questions happen right here. But uh, Stan, we always start off with the uh, the thought of the day, pal. What do you got going on? Yeah, absolutely. Good to hear from you, John. And uh, for the thought of the day, uh, you know, every now and uh, and then there's a case that crosses uh, your attention and really makes you question exactly what what's going on in the employment world sometimes. So, and one that I'm talking about in particular is what is a case involving a 71 year old uh, former employee of a airline a- company. Uh, he started there in 2008. Uh, John, and everything was fine until a new management team came in in 2018. And all of a sudden, he becomes, you know, essentially the worst performer that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, immediately, his, he gets a new manager and the manager becomes dismissive of him and even his role. And uh, the judge, in fact, even stated that this manager kind of rather than just terminating him at that point, embarked on a campaign, a campaign to make his life so miserable to essentially get him to resign. That was something the court specifically noted. Uh, and part of that campaign involved in, in the, right after kind of getting hired or the new management team taking over, uh, demoting him from his job and giving him a 25% pay cut, which you and I would obviously recognize as a constructive dismissal. But unfortunately, our, our uh, plaintiff in this case either didn't know or didn't care. He continued working for the company. And then again, seven months later, they now demote him again to a job from where he's now was customer service agent to essentially a physical job at an airport moving luggage. And this is a 71-year-old individual we're talking about, John. Uh, And understandably, the physical demands of the job were very difficult for him, and he struggled uh, very, very much in that job. And ultimately, they fired him for cause several months later and, and noted four reasons in the employment letter reasons that the judge actually called minor unintentional unintentional mistakes that were inconsequential. But that's not really what's, you know, so special about this particular case. It's everything that happens after that 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 kind of makes this a very crazy outlier because uh after this individual tries to fight for their rights and their entitlement to severance uh and and sues the company, the company then comes out and in their defense levels a number of additional uh, allegations of cause, including committing fraud, uh, committing sexual harassment in the workplace, and theft. And all of those allegations, all the serious ones, they actually dropped prior to stepping into trial because they knew, as, as the judge noted, that they were completely unsubstantiated allegations, really just a litigation tactic to take a scorched earth approach to this particular individual <laughs> and to essentially get him to resign, to give up as they tried t- back in 2018 when they were trying to force him out of his job. 
And, and the outcome of all of this was that he was awarded $58,000 in severance uh, for what essentially is about an 11-year employee working a rather minor job. So, you know, it was about 10, 11 months in income. But he was on awarded $50,000 of psychological distress damages and another 100000 in punitive wow. damages just based on the conduct of this employer. And, and that's really the story here, John, that we keep telling employers all the time that, you know, you know, you have to act in good faith. You have to deal with these people in good faith and not take, you know, in the, the harshest approach possible because essentially a court will always smack, be able to see through you and really kind of smack you down for it. So, you know, a crazy case that I wanted to share with our listeners and another example of just an employer taking things far too too aggressively and too far. You bet. And uh, again, that phone number to join the show, 416-870-6400. We'd love to get you on and answer your questions. Uh, already stepping up. Don, thank you for standing by. How are you? Hey, I'm well. Good evening, guys. Um, Stan, I've got a question for you. Um, you know, certainly I listen to the show regularly or somewhat regularly, um, and and you talk about employee rights and and so on and so forth. My question is, if an employee has the opportunity to buy a small percentage of of uh, ownership in the company they work for, I was wondering if uh, if they leave behind any of those employee rights or does now say the partnership agreement such as it might be does that take over or how does that work yeah absolutely well firstly thank you for listening to the show uh, and we greatly appreciate that and a uh, really interesting question so i mean it kind of obviously depends first of all on the type of agreement we're talking about you get the devil's in the details but if we're talking about generally you have to remember that a person can be both an owner of a company and an employee of that company so it's not that you lose your rights you just gain you know the the rights of an employer or an owner and obviously if you're the majority owner you know you're not going to take actions against yourself that are detrimental to yourself it's more in the context i assume you're asking of a minority ownership stake where you would essentially occupy both roles. You maintain your employee rights, and if the other uh, majority shareholders do something to you as an employee and as a shareholder, then you essentially have two causes of action in both capacities. Okay, fair enough. Thanks, Don. Appreciate it, pal. We're going to uh, move into a quick break. We've got to let you go and any further uh, conversation. If you're wondering more, I want to mention you can always reach out to Stan and his team. They're always ready to take that call and have a lengthier conversation off air. Of course, that would be one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca through email. Tuesday night edition of the Employment Law Show continues. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back to John Schools here along with Stan Fainzelberg. You can also reach Stan anytime he's not doing this radio show, of course, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca and the website built around educating you. It's absolutely free and anonymous, of course. It's called pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Among other things available to you at that website, the uh, severance calculator is rolled into that sucker. Over 2 million of us have used it across this country to figure out and be, uh, be aware of what your severance should be if it ever came down to the time where you were let go and offered a, uh, a measly sum by what is going to be your former employer. Use the severance calculator at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. 
ca anytime tony in the meantime first one through says hey stan having uh, having had received a recent severance would i be able to apply for ei without any penalties or clawbacks probably a very common question i would guess hey stan yeah, it's especially recently just because uh, the the law around this has changed a little bit and it changed specifically during the pandemic. So, you know, it's it was, uh, prior to the pandemic, the answer was always that you can't collect severance and EI at the same time. Right. So, you know, if you were to get your severance, EI usually calculates, okay, your severance is worth 20 weeks or whatever the number may be. And so you're eligible for EI 21 weeks from now. Um, or, you know, in, in the situation uh, where you get your severance after you collect your EI, then in that case, you actually had to contact EI and make a repayment to them uh, and you get those weeks of eligibility back. During the pandemic, though, they actually changed those rules and letting people collect both at the same time. And that was true up until September of last year, where it reverted back to the pre-pandemic stage. So at this point, Tony, the answer is that you, once you get your severance, um, your employer will let EI know specifically when they file your record of employment how much you got, and then EI will. And then once you apply, because you still have to, to do the application, uh, EI EI will specifically tell you this is when you become eligible for it. This one uh, from Rebecca Stan just uh, wrote in. This is from the COVID, the gift that keeps on giving file says, my employer is forcing us to either get vaccinated or do testing twice a week or we'll be terminated. Can you believe this still in 2023? She says, I do not want to do either as I feel this is a breach of my privacy. Is this legal at this point? Yeah, uh, there hasn't been really any updates in the law in, in this area. I mean, we're all still really waiting for that uh, that court decision that tells us from at least the court, one court's perspective, whether these mandatory vaccination policies were legal or not. You know, we're still... Uh, I and any number of my colleagues are still working on our cases you know, for the ones that haven't resolved, then we're pushing them forward. Um, but for Rebecca, there really is no easy answer right now. You know, our opinion at the firm has always been that testing is the alternative to the policy, to the, the mandatory uh, vaccination right. policies. And really, when it comes to testing, there's been quite a lot of case law that said that's not a breach of privacy in any in that context, or in the COVID pandemic context specifically. So it, really, I would say that, you know, she she probably has to do the testing at a minimum. Um, if it was only a vaccination only policy, especially at this point, I think that's a very difficult policy to to try and maintain and justify, you know, we've obviously in the province gotten rid of all the restrictions and the emergency is actually no longer declared as of July of last year. So if you haven't had, if there hasn't been a policy up until now, I don't know how you justify putting one in place, uh, as you noted yeah. in 2023. Thank you, Rebecca, by the way, you want to reach out afterwards to Stan, you can do so. Obviously you got the email address, but the the number anytime, toll free, of course, one 821 Ram Sammy coming up here says, guys, my contract says I am promised a bonus based on personal goals. I got one every year for the last seven years, but my boss says the company can't afford a bonus this year. I looked at my numbers and they're the same as always. Can they just take away my bonus like that? Yeah, Ramsey. And then this is actually something, John, that you hear, um, not even in this context, but often in the termination context where an employer will argue, oh, well, we, can't, we don't have the money, so we don't have to pay you. 
you know, contracts don't work like that at the end of the day. Contracts are based on the terms of the contract and what was agreed to by the parties. So if in Ram Sammy's you know, situation, he has a contract that says you get a bonus if you sell 100 widgets and he sells 100 widgets, it doesn't matter if everybody around him, you know, wasn't particularly profitable or good that year, he's still entitled to his bonus. And saying that the company didn't hit its numbers, you know, unless the bonus is predicated on that, which frankly, most bonuses are some combination of personal performance and company performance, you know, outside of that context, if it only sells, it's based on his personal goals, they still have to pay him his bonus. I guess the uh, the history would dictate that he's, you know, for several years, this has been happening without a hit. So I guess they're going to have to cough it up, right? Well, that that's part of it. But again, I mean, it, it, if they if the bonus specifically said, John, let's say that, you know, if you our company has to also hit 100% of target for you to get your bonus, then right. again, that's the terms of the, the plan. That's the terms agreed to by the parties. Uh, but as he's noted, you know, in the question, I believe it said personal goals, and I assume that's personal goals only. So in that situation, it doesn't matter if the company didn't do well, he hit his bonus, they have to abide by his contract. Let's get to uh, Peter, who's been standing by. Peter, thanks so much for taking the time uh, this evening. What's going on with you? Hi. Yeah, I'm calling in for a friend. Um, I heard similar calls like this before because I listened to your show, but I just wanted to repeat it. So when I relate to my friend, I give them the right information. So cool. she got a letter, uh, like a performance letter saying that she's not doing you know, up to par and she's kind of worried about losing her job. She she was going through a, um, a, a rough time emotionally. So she mm-hmm. agrees with at least part of the letter. Um, so she was, she's worried about losing her job and she's just not sure what the next step should be on her part as she wants okay. to keep the job, obviously. Yeah. Well, when it comes to performance improvement plans or warning letters or things like that, I'm sure you've heard us say that these are really the employer's subjective opinions. Oftentimes, employees don't agree with what's written there. But at the end of the day, you know, the employer is the one who gets to set the goals or their expectations. And if she's not meeting their goals, that's why we have without cause termination. I mean, they can let her go at the end of the day for any reason uh, at all, as long as that reason is not discriminatory and as long as they pay her a fair severance. So in terms of you know the warning letter, there's not much she can do to rebut that other than you know obviously try to meet the employer's expectations. If there are things she also disagrees with in that warning letter, it never is it never hurts to write them just an email that says, look, here's my perspective on things and I don't agree with these particular aspects. Uh, and then just leave it in that and save that letter for if the time is ever needed. But otherwise, I mean, the, really all she can do is try to meet their, their goals and expectations set for her. Um, if they're going to terminate her, that's a decision they're going to make, you know, based on their opinion, ultimately. Is, is there anything she could do such that she doesn't get terminated for cause? Well, that's what the letter that I mentioned is for, and or sorry, that email where you she would write an email rebutting some of that information. You want to establish some record to show that you know you obviously didn't necessarily agree with the allegations, and also to start setting up your 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 narrative, your story as to what's going on from your perspective, what you're going to tell the judge, right? So, if I don't know what the issue may be, but if the the goals are unattainable, she should tell them they're unattainable and why they're unattainable, or things like that. 
for her specific situation, I think she was going through some family difficulties. So she mm-hmm. does, she, 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 yeah. So she does agree at least with some of the stated facts about her lack of performance. But it's does that factor in at all, or it's not really? Uh, from a judge's perspective, it absolutely will. I mean, just just like a warning letter is at the end of the day an, ex- an employer's opinion, uh, if they terminate her for cause, that's their position. That's their opinion. That doesn't mean they actually have legal cause to terminate her. Only a court can decide that. And I, I absolutely would think that a judge would be swayed by a person who's going through a personal tragedy to help explain why her performance might have been somewhat subpar. So, absolutely. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Ben. No problem. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate the uh, the time of the phone call. Again, further conversation beyond this uh, for yourself or otherwise, you can do so. one 821 5900 to get a hold of Stan. Kelly is up next. Uh, says, hey, Stan, what do you do if you have problems with your manager at work? Hmm. Yeah, these are always the trickiest situations because yep. sometimes they're not legal situations. They're just interpersonal issues between two people who may not frankly, like each other, but have to work together. Um, And so there's a couple of ways to approach it. And really, it's about kind of determining what is the how serious the situation is and how far you want to escalate it. Because to me, I mean, the first obvious, the first step is just to have a conversation with that manager. Mm -hmm. Um, If you tried and can't or it didn't work, uh, the next step, I think, would be to escalate to HR and essentially bring in a third party to try to mediate the relationship. Um, if we're talking about you know serious harassment issues um, and, and and really serious conduct on the part of the manager that's just not on side, then there's external avenues as well, obviously, to explore. You could talk to the Ministry of Labor and file a harassment complaint, um, and they'll actually come in and do an investigation. Or you know you always have the the possibility of talking to a lawyer and seeing if the situation amounts to a constructive dismissal. If it's truly that toxic an environment, you don't have to continue working there. You're allowed to leave, claim constructive dismissal, and demand your severance. Ilya, appreciate that. No, moving on to uh, Alex's email. By the way, all these coming via help at employmentlawyer.ca. You can use that anytime. It says, guys, does one and a half times pay for working on a statutory holiday only apply to hourly wages or other forms of pay as well, such as salaried employees? Yeah, Alex, uh, really like statutory holiday pay, overtime pay, it doesn't matter how you get paid. They always apply to you if you're an employee. Um, whether you're a salaried employee, commissioned employee, or hourly. Um, regardless, they have to pay you time and a half if you're, it's essentially if you work your first regular shift, or last, sorry, last regular shift before the statutory holiday, and first regular shift after the statutory holiday, then they have to pay you for the statutory holiday. So if you're salaried, how's that, uh, how's the math done for that one? Generally speaking, you just figure out the annual divided by 52 weeks uh, and then divide it by 40 or 37 and a half uh, and you would get some sort of hourly rate and then you can just multiply it by 1.5. In fact, even salaried employees, when you look at their pay stubs, it usually has a hourly rate uh, input there. Right. Yeah. Good call. And just whatever, anything over uh, what, 44? After that, they're on for, uh, for overtime, right? Yeah, anything over Ontario, 44 anyway. is overtime, absolutely. Uh, the only thing to keep in mind with that is that there's a half hour 
lunch that's unpaid in that right. Uh, right. in the day that they don't have to pay you for it doesn't count towards the 44. Catherine's email up next is, guys, I'm currently on LTD and I've been with my employer for 20 plus years. I'm 62. And if I remain on LTD until 65, would I still be entitled to a full severance after LTD cuts me off? So really, you have to remember, Catherine, that the purpose of severance is to pay a, an employee who was terminated by the company. In your situation, it's a bit trickier because obviously you're not being terminated by the company. And what essentially is the analysis and what we're trying to determine is, will you ever go back? Or are, is your medical situation such that you're never going to be able to do your job again? Uh, if it's the first one, you know, that you might, uh, that you might go be able to go back, sorry. Uh, then nothing happens. You can just continue to, to wait after LTD ends. That doesn't mean you're now you know, forced back to your job. If your doctor says you're unable to work, but you're making good progress, you know, then the situation can just, uh, the employer just has to wait essentially to see how it plays out. If, however, your doctors determine that you're never able to return, that's what we would call medical frustration of contract, essentially meaning that through neither party's fault, uh, in this case, through a medical disability, you can't continue your employment with the company. And in in that situation, you don't unfortunately get your full severance. You don't have any your common law entitlements, but our statute does provide you with something. Uh, the Employment Standards Act has a provision in a, in one of its regulations that says that if there is if the employment relationship is frustrated due to a medical disability, you still get your minimum entitlements of uh, basically two weeks per year up to a maximum of 34 weeks. So essentially it, that would be what you would have to determine once the LTD ended, Catherine, is what is your doc what are your doctors saying? Will you be able to come back? And if you won't be able to come back, then you, know, you can kind of tell your employer that uh, you're owed your that the contract's been frustrated and you think you're owed uh, your minimum entitlements at that point. Sometimes it can work the other way. No, I mean, if she, if she, if, if the timing is reversed and for some reason, Catherine ends up getting a severance package while still in an LTD, that insurance company could very well claim it credit for some of that severance. No. Yeah. Well, part of uh, yeah. any LTD policy usually includes a provision that says something like if you earn any income and severance is income, uh, then we will offset and, so generally, you kind of want, if you have the option and your employer is not paying attention, you kind of want to wait for the LTD to end before engaging with the employer. Because frankly, I mean, it could be a situation where it's clear that she's never going back and she's still got three years of LTD, but there's no point right. in claiming frustration because if you do, the LTD insurer is just going to claw all of it back. And with that, we are quickly done for a Tuesday evening. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for the phone calls and all the emails. You want to continue the conversation with Stan and his team after uh, afterwards, like now, moving forward, you could do so. 1-855-821-5900, the number toll-free, of course, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And that website, once again, always use it. It's free. It's anonymous. you got access to the severance calculator as well. You could take uh, that out for a spin at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, employment law show. The preceding was a paid commercial program, unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of chorus entertainment